HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm in Vermont, a producer of award-winning handmade cheese from goat and cow milk. For more information, visit ConsiderBardwellFarm.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today, patriotically drinking cans of Budweiser clad with the flag, celebrating Mr. Tom Mylan and his Meat Hook cookbook, the meat book, as it were. And subsequently, I wore all red today, and I realized walking out of the house, you know, holding this in my hands, I kind of dress like meat for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not well Marvel, but meat nonetheless. No, no, no. Yeah? yeah, a lean cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what they call me. That's my, that was my nickname during right. this book, the lean cut. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's your DJ yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the disclaimer. I got to joyously work on this book with you, and we also have the wonderful Michael Fusco Straub, designer of this book, art director of this book, who's Hello. priorly been on the food scene here too so we're going to kind of wrap a little bit about this book specifically because if you want to hear more about tom the lovely diane stemple already had you on cutting the curd and that's true we've covered your past and yeah no, no one uh, really wants no, to no know one that. cares no one cares <laughs> even though reno nevada is still like a crazy enigma to me as it is to me <laughs> best response i could <laughs> ask for well it's the biggest little city yeah you know what i mean it's uh it's I contradictions contradictions <laughs> The Meat Hook Meat Book. You know, I keep on using buy, butcher, and cook your way to better meat, which is verbatim the subtitle of this book, because that's exactly what it is. It's not just instructional. It's not, you know, you postulizing, but it's proof that better meat does come from knowing all these things. When did you actually begin to know these things? Believe in, believe in yourself. <laughs> Um, I mean, really, this this book is in, in in no small way the result of going through this you know sort of 
radical changeover of uh, the restaurants Diner and Marlowe and Sons from being a you know two restaurants that bought meat like a traditional restaurant, just pieces and that sort of thing, to going to a restaurant or to switching over to a restaurant where we brought in whole animals and had to like figure out how to use every single part and it was a lot of trial and error and uh, at the end of it you know uh you know we all sort of came away with a an intimate knowledge like a practical knowledge not like stuff we read in books but like a, a you know boots on the ground uh you know trial and error this works this doesn't work knowledge of you know what you do with every single part well i mean aside from having that insight spatial concerns perishability because i know you were doing this all out of an airstream behind the restaurants well it was the shack next to the airstream the airstream was much nicer yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i mean you have those concerns opening up you know the meat hook too, opening up a butcher shop you have to make ends meet by using all those parts when you first opened the meat hook what what were the parts you were most kind of wary of pig heads yeah yeah Ask any any person that does whole animal butchery, pig heads, real problem. What is the problem? Um, well, they're they're giant. Um, you know, they weigh twenty pounds, and uh, they're mostly bone and not that much meat. And nobody wants to buy them. And to make them into something that somebody wants to buy, you have to brine them and then braise them and then pick the meat and then do something else with it. Like you know, we do scrapple. I mean, we have like. At the shop, like probably like seven, eight, nine different recipes of things to do with pig heads, um, and, but it's it's a it's a long process, a lot of labor, um, not a, a ton of yield, but you have to use that those parts up. See, I love how you say at the shop because I think it was in the intro you talk about what a butcher shop really is. It's it's kind of an institution, you know, a, a place that somebody comes and doesn't just buy something but interacts with the purchaser or the, you know, the processor and right. learns how to interpret that piece. Yeah. So when you say you had these recipes, you told your, you know, patrons how to cook a pig's head for no, from day I, one. I'm, I've never, no, no one has ever wanted to buy Really? It. No. Ne- like, yeah. what I mean, like things like people don't want to buy, they literally don't buy them. <laughs> so what are you surprised about that people actually buy there? Um, well, I mean, now that there's like the whole, like, you know, there's like all these different bone broth fad diets. I, um, we sell a lot of, um, a lot of beef bones, a lot of just a lot of bones in general, which I think, you know, uh, if, if it was seven, eight years ago before the whole paleo thing and then all these different, like, you know, sort of like trend diets and stuff that are all about like bone broth and hundred percent grass fed beef and minerals and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we would just be, you know, there's only so much beef broth you can make and actually sell or or pho broth or any other thing that you can turn those bones into um and there's only so many people that have you know uh 100 pound rottweilers that can eat <laughs> a beef knuckle bone so yeah. uh we, we literally would have been throwing those away because there there's some things that you just can't you can't salvage every single part or at least we can't with the businesses that we have right now i mean the, the goal is to have a 
uh, like a, a, a business where every single thing can go to. So maybe, we'll, I mean, so like maybe we'll open a noodle shop instead of a sandwich shop next year to like make use of all the bones or something. I mean, well, first let's say congrats about the sandwich shop. Oh, thank you. I, I, that was, I had almost nothing to do with that. I mean, I did a lot of demolition there, Yeah, but uh, that, that was all uh, Brent and uh, Gil and Jojo. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that is another outpost for you to use a lot of the techniques and skills from this book. Yeah. Exactly. So let's let's talk about the book specifically, and Mike, you can chime in as much as you want because you didn't want this to be another you know butchering book. You didn't want this to be another you know how to cook a steak book. What what made this different in your mind, both you know uh, prose and visually? Um, I mean, as far as the conception goes, uh, I yeah, I didn't want to do another you know like grilling book not that there's anything wrong with that there's just a lot of them and i didn't want it to be another like this is how you butcher something like you know a bunch of you know hands holding a knife with a pink blob of meat on a piece of wood um because that book was already out there and we i mean this is kind of like late to the game as far as butchering books you know like 10 years ago when you know i started heading in this direction there was literally nothing to read and now there's a lot and you know the way that i conceived it is like okay let's just let's try to somehow uh, trick people into learning all the things that like w- that I learned uh, trying to come up with things to do with every single part of the animal and, and what that really is is it's tricking people into like thinking like a butcher you know uh, having this this you know very um Having having like a, a basic working understanding of like how every part of every animal is you know how to treat it, how to cook it, like what it's good for, you know that sort of thing. Well, I mean that all starts from where <coughs> all the parts actually come from, and on the animal. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about pigs in space for a second, because <laughs> these these crazy three D telegraphing maps of of primal cuts to you know lesser known cuts like the secreto and and such. Who who was the blame? I mean, who was to thank for something as wonderful as that? What the the pigs in space part? Yeah. I mean, it was initially it was an idea that I came up with because I, I, you know, uh, had just gotten the modernist cuisine uh, book or books, you know, the the whole like hobby kit, um, and I was looking at that photography and I was really inspired. You know, I didn't want to like rip them off, but I was like, okay, like let's think really visually about this, and and also not like show how the animals like come apart and go back together. Um, the the inspiration really came from that from Modern's Cuisine Cookbook, and then I used to like uh, hang out with a lot of hot rodders in Southern California, and I had air cooled Volkswagens, and you know, I so I, I had a lot of. Uh, old car repair manuals and one of the things that all those manuals had generally was like a big exploded you know engine so every little piece is coming out so you can see how it comes apart and how it goes back together you know all the pistons and the piston rings and you know every little, little tiny piece and i thought that was a really visually succinct um but also really trippy way of doing that and i was like yeah like let's you know that's let's let's figure out how to do that and then Judy said, let's put it in space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judy, for letting us go to space for this book. You're welcome. What a wonderful budget Artisan had sending us three yeah. cosmonauts, oh, astronauts, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was hard to sort of figure out how to make that work. And, and I think we had we definitely had some conversations about it. Like there was like a moment when we were going to like literally hang all the meat 
Oh my god! You remember wow. that? Like we talked about that. Yeah, we and, were gonna hang it off scaffoldings. Yeah, we were gonna hang it off <laughs> scaffoldings, and we were like, "Oh yeah, like." And then we'll just take the picture against black, and then we'll just put the space in, and like, <laughs> like I don't know why we. There was a moment where we thought that was gonna that, work. That would and be I'm an really amazing glad. installation in front of the meat hook. If you uh, ever, if you ever want to, it would redo be that. disgusting. <laughs> it, yeah, it would be amazing for like. 40 minutes until everything got yeah. like sweaty. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, and then we, we quickly sort of figured out that there would be the only way I was going to be able to do it would be to like shoot each piece and sort of manipulate it and get it all. So it looked like it was in relation to each other, like in Photoshop basically. And that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like we were totally terrified of the whole. Well, yeah. I mean, we didn't do that until the end. I mean, we didn't figure Oh yeah. We kept out. on pushing it back, pushing yeah, it back. Yeah. Like that was the last thing we did. Well, but I mean, like I remember when, when we met at, uh, at Tuffet with MHC and we were just like, so we, this is the thing we want to do. <laughs> How do we do that? And he's like, Oh, no big deal. We'll just put it against gray. It'll be fine. Yeah. And we were like, we're you're like, hired. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, thank God, somebody. Knows yeah, I what mean, to do. but it still wasn't easy. It oh no, it wasn't, no, easy, no it wasn't but easy. But it, but at least like you were like, you had a vision for how it was going to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, we were like, I mean, you know, like I feel like we're both just like, yeah, in space, and then we're actually like, oh shit, how do we do that? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then I mean, seeing seeing the final product it makes sense, and actually seeing the process throughout, um, I thought I knew animals i thought i knew butchering a little bit but seeing something taken apart and then put back together actually really formalized uh you know an arm chuck to me like it was always this kind of ephemeral thing right but i almost feel like you should have a class where you walk people through the step of disassembling and reassembling you know certain well, primal cuts. well i mean that that's i mean weirdly enough that's actually how i learned to butcher so this this uh really amazing crazy person named Aaron Lenz um, who um, does uh, consulting if anybody wants to look him up Aaron J. Lenz um, plugging him but at the time he was the general manager at uh, Fleischer's where, and he was kind of in charge of teaching me how to butcher and so he'd have me take apart an arm chuck or like a beef leg or something like that and you know which was difficult enough and then he'd be like now put it back together <laughs> you know he was like an amazing dick about it you know and he'd be like no no and he wouldn't tell me what was wrong so i just have to do it over and over again you know like literally like process of elimination and like on this you know the seventh iteration i'd he'd be like yeah mostly that's pretty good yeah so arm chuck how many parts usually well, I mean, if you are looking in, like, the NAMP book, I mean, I think it's, like, cut up into, like, six pieces or something. Um, but, I mean, the way that we take it apart in the book um, and at the shop, I mean, the, the the book is just basically, like, kind of a like the shop jammed into a, like, you know, law lube and just right into it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the way that we take it apart at the shop, I mean, depending on how crazy we're getting, it's, you know, it's, like, 20 pieces, you know. Because, I mean, we talk about the hidden stakes. Right. And I think there were four of them. I, I always remember the rope. Right. Yeah. Um, let me think of the other one. There's so much meat in this book. It's like, thankfully, I have the book in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> as a reference guide, because I don't know how you keep this all in your head at the same time, too. Well, I mean, it's just you just do it over and over again. I mean, that's just like, you know, like at this point, I I mean, I don't I, I mean, thousands of arm chucks. I don't even know yeah. how many I've taken apart or chuck tender flat iron. Uh, flat iron paleron, um, yeah, the list goes. But these are things that. that people usually just grind into yeah. know, burger meat. Yeah. But what you're also doing in, in the meat hook meat book is 
kind of separating those, you know, almost telegraphing those out further past the animal and saying, this can be its own thing as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we took it apart, like <laughs> took everything apart as far as you possibly could and like have it still look like something that could go back together. I mean, it's like we don't take everything apart as far as it could go because then it would just be like it would be like very abstract. It would be like Dolly-esque, I think, you know, if, if we had gone like all the way. And I'd probably be like dead right now. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd be like blind and bald. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, then the most rewarding shoots must have been things like the man steak. Oh, yeah. Well, it was also the best text message I've ever gotten in my life because uh, I was going to... Or I think I got one for my bachelor party. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to explain this to my friends, like, what it is. I know how to cook it because we cooked it on, you know, your rooftop. Sure. And then I asked Mike, I'm like, hey, can you ask Tom what a pinbone steak is? And you sent him, or I think you had the text, this yeah, very... Yeah, I just copied f- it out of, the, out of the book. It was one of the... I mean, explain to me again what a pinbone steak is because... It, well, we had like an eleven pounder on the roof. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it is like literally the old ninety sixer. Um, you know, basically, where the 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 loin, the the drop loin, which is like basically the part of the rear quarter of the cow, and where that transitions from the loin into the back leg of the animal, it, it sort of like forms this this large bell shape, and uh, usually those are all separated out into you know tri tip and top. Uh, top sirloin and you know uh, tenderloin and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when we first started the meat hook, it was just the three of us. Uh, you know, myself and Brent and Ben, my partners. And uh, so we we were like, no, we're not going to take those those things apart. We're just going to like dry age them whole, and then just cut these giant steaks off of it and just throw them in the case. We just you know because we were having to do these sort of time saving measures because we were like we didn't even have a porter. We still like mopped our own floors and washed our own dishes. Um so it's kind of like um not the, the necessarily the birth of but that's kind of like the reason why um the manstake sort of became so emblematic of of the shop and and is so emblematic of the book. Well, it's also like a phoenixology. This is something that used to exist and it was like a butcher's treat to almost other butchers. No, it's like an in the know kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you you see pictures of it in like you know just sort of like regular meat cooking books from like the forties and fifties and into the early sixties, and then as soon as box meat sort of starts up in the in the sixties and seventies, it it completely just evaporates, you know, from our sort of you know collective cultural cooking knowledge. It, it's it's yeah, it's very much like a a steak of the fifties. I mean, as does beef offal, which is, I think, one of everybody's favorite spreads. Yeah. Because the size of a beef heart or a beef liver is... Yeah, the beef liver is really... I mean, it. it, it I mean, that's like 20 pounds. Yeah. That's a really big liver. I almost wish we had scale on that page because, I mean, it's pretty like, like visually striking. But at the same time, I don't think people... Re- and, you like know, we should have put a quarter down yeah, or something? I don't know, but, you know, we got our hands dirty. It's not like, yeah. you know, we had uh, prop stylists sitting there. Tw- no, we were sitting there moving meat around... I, there's a part in your book where you said if you're going to start butchering, you know, maybe crappy jeans and a t-shirt are a good idea. I didn't think about that coming to the photo shoot. Yeah, no. And then there were a couple pairs of jeans that didn't make it through that summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, wear clothes you do not care about. Yeah, yeah. But beef liver. I remember Mike. You were the one kind of handling a lot of that offal. Yeah, like by the time we got to that point, you know, that was when we were like I like Tom would like cut it. Or, like, Tom would bring it out, and then I would bring it to you, and then you would shoot it. And so it was really, like, we were, like, a 
like we were just like passing things on off to each other basically at that point because yeah you, like a fire brigade and yeah. like like raw would, meat because like you would cut like you cut that whole arm chuck down and yeah. you were putting it in order yeah and so you were shooting it in order so I knew what the order was yeah basically yeah and when I got all the pictures from you and so it was and you were so busy cutting so I kind of yeah was there it was just yeah that was like a little insane this was done in real time we yeah yeah I mean and we did those in like we did. I think didn't we do like the whole cow in one day yeah. and the whole pig in one day yeah. and the whole lamb? I mean, it was just like day after day after day. Yeah. I, I mean, in some of those days we did like multiple. Yeah. And, I mean, the smaller they got, the easier it got, yeah. sort of. But like the grosser it got. Uh, also. Yeah. 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 I feel like there should be accreditation on certain pages of how much work goes into that page. Yeah. Like maybe it should be a thicker page or some texture denoting. Yeah, how much was done? Like because, on the commentary, yeah, like yeah. how many times did we shoot the mutton chop? Like things oh, like that. Yeah, no, I mean it's one of those things where, like, you know, now we have like the book is actually a real thing, and it's like in the shop, and I see, you know, and there's like, oh, congrats on the book, and they're like flipping through, and they just like flip right past like all these things in space. They're like, oh, this is cool, and then flip, I'm just like, don't you understand how much time that took? Like, look at it. Like, look at it. It probably would have been easier for us to go to space and dismember, you know, take apart these animals. Yeah, than, oh, than what we actually did. Yeah, I mean because you know we shot everything, and then I it took me. I mean, and then I I had a ba- and then my wife had a baby, and then I was home siloing and and assembling all of those things for like the first two months of my kid's life, and I would just go downstairs whenever he was sleeping and do it for like an hour, and then I'd be back upstairs like on dad duty. It was like insane. It was, it was really Yeah, I, I, I'm sure at some point you were just like, oh, I wish there were less pieces. Yeah. Well, it was like I kind of – I didn't look to see how far it would be until I was over. So, like, I was just doing it in order, but I wasn't seeing how much more I had to go. Right. And I just kept going. And it was, like, you know, days in, and I'm just like, holy when shit. When does this stop? Yeah. And, and, like, my eyes would be, like, all bloodshot, like, come up because I'd be, like, looking at these little tiny things, zooming in on them and yeah. trying to silo around, like, all these little tiny things. Yeah. It was tough. I, I imagine it's like one of those things where they just like you just like in, it infects your dreams or something. Yeah. It's like, I definitely was up. I mean, I was definitely up a lot thinking about this book. Uh, <laughs> you would need book, need book inception. Yeah. 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 I just have to say that editing the words is not that different. Yeah. <laughs> There's no. We're not discrediting that at all. I mean, this this. I mean, it is a tome at this point. I mean, it's it's how many thousands of words went into it uh i think the last when i sent in the last like real big edit it was like up to almost eighty thousand words <laughs> yeah and i and i was really proud of myself when like the first draft was like you know 50 or something thousand words i was like wow i didn't know i had these many words in me and then it's like eighty thousand words like whoa yeah and i said more detail more detail yeah because <laughs> i am i i think i'm gonna go back and count how many words we say on this show and just see what like half an hour or so seems like because again going to the butcher shop and talking to you the f- you know first whatever minutes are bullshit like how you doing how yeah. you doing what's up what's up and then you kind of get to the meat of it the, you know the meat of the meat right and the fact that you've put it in here concisely as well, concisely as you can well but it's kind of a natural process like i mean uh, in, in in a in a in a like real practical way a lot of the writing 
in the book is basically just sort of a, a an elongated more elaborate version of things that I say to our customers like every single day across the counter and like the the meat hook it, uh, gets 20% busier every year and so I have to like get 20% 20% more <laughs> concise um, so yeah th- th- these aren't even like this isn't like the verbose version this is like yeah. a real high and tight version yeah well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and find out how long you can hold raw meat in your mouth. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm. Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. Consider Bardwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program. No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals. For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. We're going to... You know, get right to the raw meat. In your mouth. In your mouth. Mm-hmm. The cannibal sandwich. I mean, this is this is Brent's dad. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of the most amazing dad food recipe in the world. It's just like, like raw hamburger on a hamburger bun. With like, I mean, well, it, the, the, the recipe in, that ended up making it in the book is a little bit more elaborate. It's more like steak tartare. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got more things going on than just salt and pepper. But the actual, like, original recipe for this is it's just like gro- grocery store hamburger, salt and pepper, put it in a bun, force your children to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, give some context of, you know, where Brent came from. I mean, uh, yeah. So my, <laughs> my, partner, my partner Brent, like, grew up. Um, you know, just outside of Pittsburgh, um, in, you know, his, uh, really lovely mother, uh, Jane was a school teacher and his, uh, really, uh, in deeply insane, really charming, uh, father, Bud was a flooring guy. And, uh, you know, uh, like just, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, once you're, once you reach a certain point, of living in New York, you really start to like appreciate people who are like a stone dick, and that's like that's that's Bud Bud Young, you know, <laughs> stone dick. Yeah, <laughs> and you can experience that stone dick with the long dong buds, but yeah. we'll, we'll talk about yeah, that that's later. A, that's a completely but different. Back to the cannibal sandwich. I mean, th- this was uh, 
how does Zappa say it? Uh, mother of invention. You know, raw meat, because that's what they had. Hamburger gun, because that was easy. And yeah. They, they ate it. They enjoyed it. I'm air quoting. Enjoyed it. Uh, I think they just ate it. Yeah I, think, yeah. I think, like, there was no real option there. But what made you want to put a recipe like that in this book? Is it the meat or is it? Well, no. I, uh, well, I mean, obviously, it's the story. I mean, there's actually a story that goes beyond the story that explains why it became an important thing to me. And this is basically that when, when we f- uh, uh, first opened, when Brent and I first opened Marlowe and Daughters, which is the you know uh, Andrew Tarlow and Company's uh, first butcher or their butcher shop. Um, where we worked briefly before we dis- discovered that uh, this is way too hard of work f- to do it for somebody else. Um, that there is no cooking appurtenances over there, save for a George Foreman grill, and we would just get like starving hungry. We were there like twelve, fourteen hours a day because um, to run a butcher shop with two butchers is like really intense, and especially a whole animal butcher shop. And so we would just get so hungry that we would make tartare, and then. Brent started telling me this story about the cannibal sandwich, and then we were so we'd go over to diner and get like hamburger buns and like onions and stuff, and just make these like raw hamburger hamburgers, <laughs> uh, and they were fucking delicious. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it seems really weird. My, my wife's mother, um, like, uh, was just like really freaked, deeply freaked out by the the idea of the cannibal sandwich. Even though I'm pretty sure that she's had carpaccio and tartare before, but Yeah, it's it's not otherworldly. No, I think it's it's kind of like that it's like in a hamburger bun that's like really fucking you up. You yeah. Know? Well, out of the two of you, Tom and Mike. Yeah. Who was able to hold that raw meat sandwich in their mouth for longer? Because we did a couple re- different shoots. I, think, I don't remember any of yeah. that. I, mean, that <laughs> was, I blacked it that out. That was the first thing we shot, and I think it was really a good thing to shoot first because it like really broke the ice because it got really gross after a while because we were just holding it in our mouth. Well, it's also just really strange to hold a piece of food in your mouth and not eat it yeah. for like 15 minutes. Yeah, in like the sun of June or whenever yeah, it was last like year. Yeah, it's like out. We were like standing outside and eating with this raw meat in our mouths. Um, just getting warmer and warmer <laughs> I mean, and I think, warmer. I think Tom had it in his mouth longer, <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I don't know. And don't, that's the shot that made the book. Because, yeah, I don't remember any yeah. of that. There was one shot of me that was was really good where I looked like I was like in pain. Yeah, my eyes. Were, yeah, like, I. Up. Yeah, I'm. Sur- I'm really surprised that the picture of me made the book. I thought like you with that that look of like strain. Yeah, and just yeah. like just yeah. like oh, come on, come on. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah it either looked like you were having like like this exquisite like like sort of like food gasm, or you were just like fuck. I can't like hold this in my mouth one second longer. See where yeah. I screwed up. Sometimes I do these things called ten second portraits where I'm taking a photo of a person where they think I am and I have it on video. <laughs> um, and why I didn't do it with that, I don't think I actually really fully concepted it until right after that shoot. Yeah. But that that would have been an amazing trailer for the book. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> just seeing the wincing. <laughs> but I mean, the, I call them trials and tribulations of this book. They weren't. Uh, again, uh, I'll slightly jokingly more so lovingly say it was one of the best summers of my life working on this with you guys because it was fun yeah and yeah. but atop a, a of it being fun putting the book together it's fun because the content was fun right i mean w- what recipes excite you the most still because sometimes you know you write a book or you do something over and over you're like uh i mean chicken nuggets as as crazy as they are i i could have once a week yeah no um hmm, what 
that's like choosing your favorite child. Um, I mean, I, I think my favorite is probably the the fat kid blend. It's not really a recipe, but it's just like of the things that are that are in there. I really lo- like. I still have a deep abiding love of grinding, uh, you know, raw beef and and bacon together, and then making it into a hamburger. That's it's a it's a, it's a real winner. Uh, also, the pastrami. The pastrami is a really yeah. It's all. It's always really good. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that many people will actually make go through the three week process of making it, um, as outlined in the book. But you could, and if you do, it's going to be really worth. Well, it. it's kind of like the ham too. Uh, you know, the thing about good meat and and good cooking is sometimes it isn't quick. Right. Yeah. And you want to know intrinsically how to you know make a ham. Yeah. Because what we see in the supermarket are those like mushy sacks and cryovacs. Right. Or like jammed into a can. Yeah. Like I mean that that isn't real meat. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of like fairly quick and easy recipes in there. Just in case anybody would be scared off, and just be like, oh my god, everything in the thing it, like takes like three weeks to like <laughs> eighteen months with the country ham. But uh, no, there's there's some quick. Things. No, and then you can look at a recipe like the you know. Um, Hufan, what do you call it? Legon trotter. Oh my god, the porchetta. Yeah, 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 the porchetta with the trotter on. Yeah, I mean that's actually not a long recipe. That's a pretty quick recipe for what it is. Right. No, you just have to cook it for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and have an oven big enough. Uh, yeah, that was the problem. <laughs> not big enough for the oven, yeah. even at the meat hook. Yeah. So a lot of people know what a porchetta is, but why the trotter on? I, that is, I mean that that's actually uh, again goes back to like. Uh, our Brent in my early days of like uh, trying to figure out how to run a butcher shop at Marlowe and Daughters. And, you know, a big problem was that the, you know, everything that like most people would like want to buy at a butcher shop all went to the restaurants, like all the steaks and everything. So we would have to still fill the cases with things that people didn't really, well, that the restaurant didn't want. And, and, you know, by and large, most of the uh, retail public didn't want, and so at a certain point, it just got to be so ridiculous that we just turned it into a, like an art installation joke. And so Brett, uh, like in a particular moment of delirium, decided to debone an entire pork shoulder but leave the trotter on and make it into a porchetta and just throw it in the case. Because it was, A, it was expedient. It would, took up a lot of real estate. And it looked really bizarre. And uh, people would come in and just, like, just stare at it and, and then run away. I mean, there are these flipped conceptions, too, on a couple other recipes. One of my favorites being the chicken, inside-out chicken pot pie. Yeah. I mean, you think you're getting a chicken, and then you're not just getting the chicken. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of these things are kind of, you know, because, you know, working at a butcher shop is really hard work, and you get really delirious, especially around the holidays um, and, like, you know, early summer, and it just leads to... but. You know, it, and, but the only way that you have to really express yourself besides uh, drinking a lot of alcohol is to <laughs> do really weird stuff, and it just it it, it just sort of like comes to you, like uh, you know, like uh, Tesla's designs came to him, except far less important. <laughs> I want to go back. out of the ether, <laughs> out of the ether, just goofy ideas. Well, I want to go back to designs because Mike, you are inherently part of the meat hook, you know. Constantly the fifth, helping the fifth beetle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that Peter York? What, what was his name? I have no idea. I don't know. No, but there was a fifth beetle. Oh no, totally. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a real thing. I think. But you know, trying to convey a visual message. Uh huh. How is this different than other meat books? How is this different than just branding the shop? Well, I mean, I mean, it, like basically, I mean, I think I was brought on 
to keep the book like for lack of a better term like on brand or whatever because I designed originally designed the logo for the meat hook I've designed everything that they've needed to be designed for the last almost five years yeah it'll be Holy five cow. years in November and um and so when this came about like I I think I was brought on so I we can just keep it looking like the meat hook and just like extend what I've been doing into a book form which I felt very lucky and fortunate to be able to give had the opportunity to do by Judy and the people at Artisan, and uh, and it was great. I mean, I loved the idea of being taking all these cool things that I've done for the Meat Hook over the years and things that I've been like super proud of, and then putting them into this book and extending that. I mean, like because obviously this book is a lot more complicated than anything I've ever had to do for them, and so I learned a lot about like how to make the meat hook look even better like and more sort of evolved and so like so these- you, you gave the meat hook logo acid Exactly. <laughs> just like yeah. went nuts. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and like 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 we introduced like all these different colors for the chapters, and like all these little like, little technical things that I'm sort of doing at the shop too now, and so that was a really great opportunity to be able to do that. But that's sort of how it how it came about. Like that's how I ended up designing it and kind of extending the you know the meat hook stuff that I'd been doing over the years. You know, it's going to be interesting because. It's funny to hear that this book is informing your design back into the shop. Oh, absolutely. To hear I mean, how the shop may change because of this book. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's like, like uh, you know, I feel like almost anything in my life is just like a snake eating its own tail like, <laughs> on drugs. Well, well like we did those, si- those signs that are up sort of are basically sort of designed around like, around the way I ended up at things that I added to the book, like new things and like with fonts and colors and stuff, these new signs that are up at the shop are sort of based on stuff that came from the book. Yeah, and I mean, to, to I just want to say this, like, uh, you know, uh, deciding to go with Artisan, like, a, a, you know, a big deal was actually that, that, that they were, like, uh, you know, like, foolish enough to allow us to, <laughs> like, design our own book with our designer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, but I did, I got my start at Workman, which is part of Artisan, or which Artisan is part of, and so they sort of knew me. A little bit, but they knew me as like a kid who was wearing like oh, slacks. Mikey. Yeah, like I was wearing like slacks that my mom bought me, you know, and like I was so like I was like a twenty. I think I was twenty four when I started there, so I, I've, I'm a lot different than now than I was then, and I'm really I'm really happy that they like I mean, thought you, I was good enough to but do it. Do you really feel like you're a lot different? Because I remember working on this book. All we did was talk about music and yeah. Our I mean, I listened to days. the same like '90s, yeah. like whatever. But but yeah, I mean, I I, I I hope I'm a better designer than I was then. Like that 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 is a real. I really hope I was. And I and I kind of found my way after leaving Workman, and Workman taught me a lot about how to actually like get shit done. Which we, if I mean people who work at workmen know like they like the 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 speed and the like the way they do things there is super fast and super intense in certain ways and like yeah, I, you're not like a pot smoking like freelance web designer exactly, in a no. basement somewhere. Yeah. Just being like, oh no, I'll get that done when I get it done. Yeah, charging no. you hourly. It you was know? like I was like busting my ass. I learned how to. I really learned how to work there. Like I learned how to really, really work. So it was cool to come back and work on this book, which I think is like the best thing I've ever done. Talk about more snakes eating their own tail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Mobius <laughs> strip. Yeah. Of like, yeah. This thing. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Yeah. Well, I, f- I felt that way kind of getting roped into this project, too, because I met you 10 years ago, if not more. At was that long? Yeah, in Marlow. was eight. Whoa. Mm, maybe. Jesus. Yeah, no, I think it was 10. I moved back in 04. Wow. So it's about 10 years that ago. That is a long... Wow. And you were there, and I would just hang out because you were the buyer, cheese guy. Yeah. But you were making, like, bitters and hot sauce and other things. Oh, yeah. It was a very, like, we tinker, uh, <laughs> like, era at Marlow and Dyer. Yeah, bitters, hot sauce... Um, me and, and uh, uh, their beverage manager, Rachel, were, like, designing really, like, wacky cocktail menus, like, you know, ramp-infused vodka with, like, walnut oil on top. and I mean, just <laughs> going. And then, I mean, we were also, like, doing, you know, the, the Diner Journal was just getting up and running. Me and Anna were editing that. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a, a real, like, uh, Petri dish laboratory of, like, anarchy there. I mean, but you you bring that same inventiveness to what you do at the Meat Hook. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I have, you know, not just, like, a liberal arts degree. Like, I have, like, a degree that was basically in, like, performance art and, like, uh, like giant abstract finish fetish paintings, you know. So I, I, just, I, it's, I just can't help that. Like, I, I just get bored of, you know, I'd be really bored to, like, you know, uh, just do the same thing over and over. I, like, sometimes, you know, changing everything all the time is not the best thing <laughs> it's it's not really like uh expedient but uh i don't know i feel like psychically necessary yeah well i mean there are these extensions and i kind of wanted to end because it is summertime out today yeah with you know barbecuing and rippers yeah you know because those are two amazing things that you've done where it's uses a lot of the meat hook you know meat but it also uses a lot of the you know ideology and ethos behind what you do as a business and how you bring your community together. Yeah. Talk to me about what Rippers kind of means to you. Fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just fun. I mean, like that's kind of like what, what this book is, what Rippers is, what the sandwich shop is, is just like taking something that's like, you know, fairly normal Americana stuff, you know, like, you know, like a butcher shop. Like, I mean, like, like who would think that like a butcher shop would be fun, you know, or like a book about meat who knew, yeah, like who would be like, you know, Oh, that's like, that's really fun. You know what I mean? But that's kind of what we do is just like, you know, try to make everything fun in like the most like psychedelic way that we could possibly can. And that's, you know, I, th- I think if there's like, Beyond the sort of like more verbose, like oh, but well written mission statement <laughs> at the beginning of the book, I think you know it's it's really it like comes down to to that like you know just like making like do it like making doing the right thing like like totally amazingly fun. Yeah, um, your wife Annalise yes wrote the little intro. She did, and in that she says you know there there were a couple people Matteo Keller being one that yep. really kind of informed when you're doing something of this ilk. You also have to do it for a reason, for a purpose, right. you know, and you can't just sit there and have fun. And I know you, you are enjoying yourself, but you're thinking that much deeper when, you know, you, you choose to open a business, when you choose to write a book. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're choosing like what you do with your life, like what you, you know, it's like the, I don't know, the difference between like, you know, working for like a military industrial complex contractor and like making like five, you know, you know, figures or something, uh, you know, six figures and then like, or like doing something that like makes the world a better place, you know, in every conceivable way. Like, you know, like good meat is better for the environment. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's healthier for like, you know, people like, you know, it's, it, you know, uh, 
it, you know, especially when you're doing it locally, it's like bringing money, keeping money in the local economy, not sending it off to some like, you know, uh, nameless, faceless, you know, uh, multinational corporation that like doesn't care about like their workers and, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, just doing like choosing what you're going to do with your life and, and really understanding that like, you know, uh, you're making a difference. It's not like a huge difference, but it's like I feel like you know. It's it's a you know the the easiest thing to look at in the book is is that dollar bill that percentage of you know how much is given back to the farmers. Sure. You know versus a supermarket chain and which I think it's ten percent versus like thirty two percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. The, the 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 yeah. I think we do it in like in cents because it's like mm-hmm. like more money revolved. But yeah, I mean, it really like comes down to the economics of it. It's like you know we, you know we like the the thirty two cents that go back to our farmers versus the eleven cents that go to like when you buy something at the grocery store. You know, and then people are just like, well, this still doesn't seem like very much. And it's like, well, but all the other cents in that dollar go to, like, the local trucking company that's, like, you know, mom and pop business. Like, we pay the slaughterhouse, which is a family-owned slaughterhouse, who pays all of their employees well. And, like, you know, like, it's it's all going, it's all staying in, in the local economy, like, paying people to do a real job um, that is really important to... Uh, growing the infrastructure for local food, you know, local meat in the you know, in and around the New York, you know, state area. Because um, I want to know, you know, what is a Wangus? I mean, there are all these different oh, cows, Wangus. yeah. But I mean, you've supported now, now Berkshire pigs coming in. You've supported all these local farmers uh, in a way that not many other people in New York were initially. Yeah, no, I mean, we like we got to work with a lot of different farmers like when we uh were uh doing the the our previous butcher shop or working at a butcher shop previous to this and we just chose the ones that we really not just like like the quality of the product but also you know like them as people because you know we got to visit the farms and hang out with them and we have a very close uh relationship with our farmers and, uh, you know, we do something that not a lot of other people do. They, you know, we have like a handshake contract and it's just like, okay, we're, we will take this much, you know, these many animals from you, like, you know, f- forever, you know, there's no, we're not like shopping around trying to like save 25 cents. We're like, okay, like, you know, you, like you can plan the future of your, uh, farm around like, you know, what you sell us because we will always buy that. I mean, unless we go to business or something, I guess, but, um, and we also support them doing, you know, really, you know, like trying things out and, you know, like we, we, you know, we buy it and even if it's not good, which usually very good, but, you know, uh, you know, uh, we figure out something to do with it, you know, but yeah, the Wangus thing, uh, I wish we could get more of that, but yeah, like, uh, uh, this, this guy up in the finger lakes, uh, bought this like ten thousand uh, dollar wagyu, you know, which is Kobe uh, beef to uh, most people, uh, breed bull, and he only to figure out that it like didn't really like eating just grass <laughs> because that's not how they're sort of raised. Um, but you know, he got these like all these like half Angus, half wagyu uh, animals like later, 
um, after he had like sold them because you know it takes a long time to make a cow. Uh, they were the gestation period. I mean, uh, and they were they were incredible. They were like nothing I had ever seen. They were, like I've never seen grass fed meat that like literally looked like like wagyu, like Kobe beef. It was insane. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're, we're we try to say yes to, you know, a lot of th- things that like people would say no to. I think, um, you know, we're, we're like fiscally conservative, but we're not. Uh, you know, we're 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 very open to uh, you know we want to yeah, like keep those dollars and cents like you know in the in the bloodstream of uh, New York State, but we're you know say yes to a lot of really like out there ideas that I think most people would be like, ah, that's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Well, say yes to the meat hook. Say yes to the meat hook. Meat book. Stop in. If Tom doesn't have time for you, just flip through the pages. It will piss him off a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'll have time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just working. I mean, when I'm not on book tour, I'm just like at the shop all the time. Excellent. And thank you guys for roping me into this project again. Again, best summer of my life. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Durkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.